Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome Greg Sutton, who has written many hits for Joe Cocker, as well as many others, and played bass for many, including Bob Dylan. So welcome, Greg. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Sam? I'm doing just great. It's a, what, a, th- a Thursday right now? But, you it's know... Thursday, yeah. Th- Thursday's not the worst day of the week, I don't think. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're all pretty much the same to me. You're a professional songwriter, so could you tell me a little yeah. bit about, like, your songwriting process? How does that go about? Well, it you know, it's varied, and it's varied over the years. But for the most part, what happens is, for me, I, I'll get a a phrase in my head, a title or a a line, but normally it's the title, you know, and what that might be about, you know, and you, these, you know, it's usually accompanied by a melody, you know, sometimes. And so that's, that's how I usually do it. And then I figure out what the, you know, I'll sort of sing it to myself, figure out the chords. I don't usually write like, every once in a while I write a lick against what you're doing. And of course, you know, if you're co-writing with somebody, then the process changes because you have to accommodate what they're going to add uh so but basically i i go when everything is really working fine perfect what'll happen is like this has happened to me a couple of times i'll wake up from a dream with a song in my head i will hear the song i'll hear the title of the song and the melody will play for me and i'll just sort of like go okay here's how it goes you know i mean that doesn't always happen you know but that's like the best case scenario. And it's like taking dictation and you sort of go at this point, I sort of have a couple of times said, well, is that right? You know, as if I was talking to somebody, but you know, like I said, uh, it's, it's different when you're co-writing with, with people, you know, a lot of those Joe Cocker songs were co-written. So, but, but it's, it's still the basic impulse. It's the same. Yeah. I mean, that definitely sounds like you totally have to like account for someone else's style. That must be tough when you're like, you know, doing such a personal art form. Yeah, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, the thing is, is like, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think there was something for you both to gain. Like music is incredibly personal but it's it's a collaborative venture to begin with you know it, it, uh a few musicians acting as one are are better than just one even because the one is going to need some backup musicians anyway so it's it's collaborative it's feeling each other and that's sort of the beautiful part of it and it's like you know uh just singing a three-part harmony that sounds like one voice is a trip i mean it's something i still get off on after you know being a professional musician for 50 years because it's it's so it's sort of it's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts you know it's that's the beautiful thing about music yeah so co-writing with somebody you just go oh okay oh that's a good idea let me see you know and see you sort of size each other up and you know, um, you know, I don't usually write with people I don't want to write with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know you mentioned that, like, working with a, a bunch of people playing music with a, a group is, is a nice experience. Do you do that often or do you just play by yourself most of the time? Well, you know, I've, I've uh, as, a, as a, you know, on a career basis, starting from when I was, like, 20, you know, uh, I mean, I always had bands as well as wrote songs. So, um, and, and you need to be, I don't know, I, I've, been, I've been a professional musician, a side man, you know, for, for all kinds of people. I, do, I still do a, a, like a, a weekly show online with a little band of friends here. Uh, and I go out and play in, in some of the nightclubs in LA every once in a while. 
because it's it's a it's a fun thing to do you you know as far as it's it's not a, a place well you, you, i do original material and some people really like it you know but it, it's sprinkled in with also like blues covers and stuff like that stuff that people are going to be more familiar with oh, cool. so, you know but yeah i mean I, I i enjoy playing music it's all i've ever done i never really had a real job so uh you know that's my job you know in all its different phases but when it comes to writing pretty much these days uh i write by myself mm. you know well did you always want to be in like the music world did you always want that to yeah. be what you did i i always did and i sort of knew like right from the beginning right from i don't know you know uh very young that you know well i when I was growing up, everybody like would take piano lessons, you know, and uh, I took it serious. I mean, I didn't really take it seriously because my father could play piano by ear. So I didn't really like the reading music part, but I, I could hear like what was on my rock and roll records, old Ray Charles records and sort of imitate, you know, a little bit. So it was fun for me, you know, right from the start. And me and my cousin used to write like really stupid, dirty songs when we were like seven and eight years old. So, you know, uh, I, you know, it's just always was fun. You know? Yeah. And you started off on piano, you said? Started off on piano, picked up a guitar at about age 12, right? Actually, right before the Beatles hit America. Uh, I remember I had a really, really terrible band together, uh, but we did boys. And it really, I really, I heard the Beatles, which was the flip side of, you know, it's an old Beatles song. It actually was a, a, a flip side of a Shirelles single. Anyway, my band did it. The Beatles did it. So they were OK with me, you know, but it was they were obviously much better than we were. You know, I had a lot of very, very bad bands during high school and in my later teens and younger years until I found some things started to get better. Yeah, yeah. Well, in those teenage years, you, you mentioned the Beatles. Did you guys, like, when you played music, did you really look up to them or, like, use them as inspiration? Well, the Beatles were inspiration. For me, personally, the Rolling Stones were more inspiration and that kind of music. And also, uh, like, blues artists, like, uh, and, and rhythm and blues artists, like Ray Charles. Uh, you know, it just... For, for my part, but yeah, the Beatles were great and they sang great harmonies. And they're, you know, if you wanted to work as a band, you'd have to, you know, you'd have, at least have to know how to play Twist and Shout, you know, which was actually an Isley Brothers song first. But, you know, uh, so uh, yeah, we, do, I mean, you know, the Beatles were the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. They were like the three really most influential things for yeah. kids like me well i i know doing some looking at uh the rest of your work i know you played live with bob dylan and two members of the stones on that same tour right i know that was that was great for me i just kept looking around and going jesus look at this i'm playing with bob dylan my idol with my favorite english guitar player from my favorite english band the rolling stones i mean there were you know bob dylan's up here and the rolling stones are like right here so and then Mac was like greatest piano player so that was a great gig and Clapton would come sometimes come and play with us and Chrissy Hind and all that it was I was pinching myself the whole time we, we made a record and did a tour you know it was, it's uh, and Bob you know is fantastic he's like a, you know, a very brave guy yeah and just great 
you know, probably the greatest songwriter who ever lived, you know, in, especially in terms of his long-term effect on people. Mm. Well, how how did you like get that gig? Just well, it's funny. I just was in the scene. I was playing around, and a friend of mine named Chalo Quintana was playing with Bob out at his place um, in Point Doom, which is just beyond Malibu. He has this huge spread. Anyway, Chalo was in the the Plugs, which was a, a, a punk band, a Mexican punk band. And uh, so he asked me to come out and play with him and Mick Taylor and Bob. And um, I'm not sure who the keyboard player was that day, but it wasn't Matt. It was some other keyboard player. And they were just having guys come in and out. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't hear from them for a couple of weeks. And then I heard from them. They said, come on out again. And um, it was at that point, it was Mick Taylor, Colin Allen and Mac and me and Bob. Uh, and he just liked my sound. I, I asked him, I remember like once I had the gig, we were like walking down a hill to a stage in, in somewhere, I think in Germany. You know, and it was like about we'd done about four shows. So I sort of went, uh, you know, hey, Bob, everything cool, you know, in the bass, no problems, you know. And, and he, he went, well, uh, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I said, well, I guess that's good. You know, I mean, if, if you notice the bass, then something's really wrong. But um, I said, you know, so, you know, how, how, why me? You know, how come? I mean, I'm really, I'm so glad you hired me, but why, you know, just, just so I know. And he said, well, I like your sound. I, you know, these, these other guys, they were all really good. And, you know, he, he had like listened to a lot of really, really good bass players. And he just said, you know, I, I just thought you, your sound would, would like be more agreeable to his ears over the course of time. I don't know, you know, uh, I think he liked the way I dressed also. We used to trade outfits every once in a while. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So you I gave him he gave me a black motorcycle jacket and I gave him a white leather like suit jacket. Oh that's that cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he must have been a, a very interesting guy to play with. I that sounds crazy. Very interesting. He he's you know he's a force of nature because you know at that point I mean and this is like many 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 years ago decades ago at that point he looked so weathered to me because he'd been like Bob Dylan for twenty two years that, at that point you know uh, the, the legend you know and he's just he, you know whenever I'd ask him questions or we talk about like American music he was like encyclopedic he always knew the answer. You know, you said, well, you know, that was a blind Bob uh, Blake, you know, and, you know, so he was he was very t together and everyone said, you know, he was he was very friendly, too, in a way, and very loose. That was the part that really I mean, there's a definite separation. He had his own dressing room. You know, sometimes he'd stay in a different hotel. He wasn't like a guy who was going to go out and drink with the boys like Rod Stewart or something. But, you know, on the other hand, I never heard him say, hey, why don't you play this and I'll play that and we'll, okay, one, two, three, four. He just sort of hired guys for how they played and how they played together. And, you know, he never once said, do this, you know, and we would, I remember the first time we played uh, Just Like a Woman, which is, if you're playing with Bob Dylan, you really should know Just Like a Woman, you know, but we had never rehearsed it. So this is like... So I think Berlin 
uh, you know, the, there's about 80,000 people in the stadium, wherever they play football in Berlin. And he, he starts playing just like a woman on, on the harmonica and the guitar, you know, we just have to, you know, you fall in. So, but he was very loose that way. He just expected you to know his shit, you know? Wow. That's, that's and, really cool. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, I knew we were really in like Flint once Max started to went the little organ riff, you know, I said, okay, we're going to get through that. This is going to be good, you know, because mm. very spontaneous. You know? So did you have to like figure out Dylan songs on stage live all the time? Well, sometimes, you know, I mean, I knew, I really knew almost all the Dylan songs, you know, because I'm such a fan and he had such a big effect on my life, you know, uh, that uh, the one time, though, he's he started to to rely on me more and more. He'd sort of go like every once in a while, he'd start Maggie's Farm in the wrong key, you know, and he'd go, hey, you know, and he noticed when he played harmonicas in the wrong key, you know, and hey, Greg, you know, what, what key are we in? <laughs> you know, say, well, we're in G. You want to go to A? You know, that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. So, but one time we were playing a simple twist of fate and it turned out that maybe 10 years before this, when a simple twist of fate and shelter from the storm, the blood on the tracks album came out. I learned both of those songs the same day. One's in D one's in E. And so I fucked up. I, I shelter from the storm is in D and I told him it was in E. Oh, and you know, we, I'm not sheltered from the storm. It was simple twist of fate. We had played it a couple of times, but it wasn't something we had rehearsed. But it's just it's a beautiful song, amazing song, very European. Anyway, so I, I gave him the wrong key. And, um, you know, that would, afterwards he came backstage and sort of went, didn't sort of went, he went, that was absolutely, positively the wrong key. <laughs> you know, and he was pissed, you know. But it was such a Bob way of putting things, you know. I, it was anyway it was but mo yeah every once in a while you have to just figure out the songs but i mean aside from not knowing what key it was in i knew the song wow know? well i gotta say i i love your your bob dylan impression it's very funny <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. there's you know there's a lot of different periods of bob but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah i like imitating him it's, it's funny yeah he definitely has an iconic voice that's that's to say the least he most certainly does and you know he's um like i said he's a force of nature mm -hmm. you know yeah so you know. i mean you you mentioned you had him and like the stones as influences yeah did you ever think that you would like get to play with them no never you know i mean i, I really did even though you know that was like sort of my aim to be on that you know in that in that field of musicians you know big time rock and roll musicians uh, I had to pinch myself when I was playing with Bob and two Rolling Stones. And, you know, like when we played uh, Wembley Stadium, Pete Townsend was in the box, you know, and I, you know, I, I, and he said, you know, you guys sounded like Bob with the Rolling Stones. And I said, well, that's, that's pretty good. You know, so it was like a nice thing to say, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't know, you know, yeah, it was great. It was great. And I never, you know, I really, you never know what's what's what is going to happen until it does. I, I I've uh, 
I was also musical director for the comedian Andy Kaufman. Mm. I don't know if you know who he was or mm. not, but he, he was uh, my best friend. And from the time we were 10 years old, and he wound up being a very famous comedian. We did his show at Carnegie Hall and all these other, he was groundbreaking, just like Bob. He was he was like, a, a, you know, an iconoclast in the in comedy. Yeah, I wound up like being his musical director and, you know, uh, I was in the only band that ever opened a show for Elvis Presley, New Year's Eve, 1975 and 76. I've just had these like weird, lucky breaks happen to me for some wow. reason, you know, and where I, the, me, the most unlikely person is, you know, here in this situation. It's almost like being an alien and so, you know, going, follow me. This is going to be interesting. Wow. Yeah. Opening for Elvis. That's something. <laughs> It was really something, and it was like New Year's Eve, 75 and 76, and um, he was very fat, very doped out, tore his pants, blah, blah, blah. But I had like an all-access pass, right? So I followed Parker around for a while. You know, I, you know I, I knew a couple of the guys in the band, so they would let me like hang around backstage because you're not supposed to, nobody's supposed to be backstage, you know? Uh, I remember we played our set, and they said, you got to clear out now because, you know, the, nobody's allowed to even look them in the eye. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's security. But anyway, yeah, that, that was an amazing thing. And, um, you know, he, he was dead not too, you know, he, he, I don't think he lived another year from that date. Wow. Uh, but it was obvious to me that he was, I was expecting to see the real Elvis Presley, the guy who I, you know, as a child, it was like the first rock and roll that I ever saw, you know, it was like life changing, you mm -hmm. know, for me and Andy Kaufman. That's how we became friends because we both loved Elvis so really? much. Wow. Yeah. And you both got uh, to see him like in, in his last year. Yeah. And Andy, you know, Elvis said that Andy did the best Elvis imitation of anybody in the world. Wow. So, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, anyway, it was uh, it was a, anyway, it was not the the Elvis Presley I expected to see. It was like, you know, a fat guy in a tight white suit who sort of, you know, but then he he made a, he went off stage after splitting his pants changed jumpsuits, changed into a black jumpsuit. I think he saw the doctor. I can't, you know, of course, mm -hmm. I don't know, but it seemed like he had more energy when That's he came enough. back out. And uh, he, the second half of the show was, some of it was magnificent. Uh, Suspicious Minds was really tremendous, but that's not the old Elvis. That's mm -hmm. the, you know, that was the, the that Elvis, you know, the 60s Elvis. But still, it was great. And he did a couple of, uh, like, Sun songs. But then, you know, then then he reverted back to Blue Hawaii Elvis. And it, it was New Year's Eve 1976, which is this 200th anniversary of America. So he, like, at midnight, he said, the, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag, you know on two knees and he changed back to a white jumpsuit by that time, you know, to oh, reflect wow. the light, you know, so it was very, it, it was amazingly staged and, but it was incredible to see. I mean, you, you know, it's Elvis fucking Presley, you know, with James Burton on guitar, Glendy Harding on piano, some of the greatest musicians ever, Ronnie Tutt on the drums and 14 background singers, 
you know, three different. Anyway, it was it was amazing. I, I thought it was psychedelic. You know, it seems like a <laughs> spectacle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it's just you know, I I had the good luck to wind up in weird situations like that. Later on, I was like uh, with the group called Lone Justice, which had a couple of like minor hits. But um, we toured the world with U two on their Joshua Tree for a year and watched U two become the biggest band in the world and watched. Bono, Bono had actually played with us at Slane Castle when I was with Bob, like a couple of maybe three or four years before. So I had played with the, the dude once and I, I, didn't, I didn't play with him again. But he was a different, he wasn't, he hadn't become full-blown Bono, you know, the Pope of rock and roll or whatever he is, you know. I, I... So it's just interesting to see a band, you know, I was once again in a position to watch like this star machine uh, yeah it's uh wow that that's crazy i mean you've gotten to do so many cool things play with so many cool people right for joe yeah. cocker that's that's nuts yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's great joe cocker was great too do high school kids listen to stuff like that you know i wish i i'm one of the only ones sadly i uh -huh. i i try to be like Hey, want to listen to Bob Dylan? And uh -huh. I, I get shot down a lot of the time. But you know, sometimes what are they listening? What do they want to listen to? Um, you know, it it honestly really depends. A bunch of my friends are really into like electronic music. Uh huh. Um, you know, some listen to whatever the the big TikTok song is next. Right. But you know what? I think you should. Well, of course, you're going to do what you're going to do. But I think you're on a solid ground here because it would seem to me that you know. People your age are questioning a lot of the shit that is coming their way. Mm -hmm. And what's what's the one thing that really hasn't happened for a while in music? Guitars and like harmonic movement and you know melodies, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but but on a hard basis though, you know, like something real. Uh not not uh you know, Harry Styles or any style. So it seems to me like there's got to be like, you know, it's you're doing a good thing. You're turning your fellow students on to, you know, you have more mature tastes than they do. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the hope. I certainly I spend so much time Googling music. It's it's crazy. I, I don't know. Well, you know, it's a good thing because culture used to get passed down. That's what it was all about. The Great American Songbook, George Gershwin. Frank Sinatra, all these people, you know, Billy into Billie Holiday, and then it turned into Etta James and Rhythm and Blues, and, you know, it's supposed to be passed down, and it's, you know, it's not just, like, what's a hip today, and, you know, oh, that happened two weeks ago, so that, that are you crazy? That's not, you know, disposable culture. I mean, people still listen to Beethoven. You know, great music is going to be great music for hundreds of years. Hopefully, but somebody's got to pass it along. It needs to be brought along. You know, it's just, you have to make people aware of shit that they're not aware of sometimes. And also, it, you know, it's because you're going, hey, you know, I dig this. Maybe you'll dig this. Anyway, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's good yeah. I, I do like, um, you know, yesterday I was in the car with one of my friends and I was like, we're listening to The Grateful Dead. Nothing you can do about it. And I, I uh -huh. put that on. That was that was funny. And he was like, no. And then he was like, oh, so, really? you know, I well, won that one. I, I won. <laughs> that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. See, one by one. Yes, was, yes. Made another deadhead for the world. <laughs> that's almost like a cult at this point. Deadheads, you know. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I, I know there's people who have, uh, you know, I mean, I remember seeing the Grateful Dead in Haight-Ashbury, you know, when it was before they were the Grateful Dead. I mean, they were the Grateful Dead, but, you know, just barely. Uh, so, but, you know, there's people my age who have children who have children and they're all deadheads, you know, and there's millions of them. They make a lot of money in merchandise. Oh, I, I, I'm sure of it. They, they, yeah. you know, new shirts all the time. I get their emails. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much, Greg, for, for coming on and talking to me here. It's been, sure. it's been so nice to hear about your time with Dylan and, you know, with, with Joe Cocker and all your songwriting stuff. It's just so cool. And yeah, th- thank you so much for talking to me. All right, Sam. Nice to meet you. Bye.